and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on the show talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. This podcast is sponsored by Syncback Pro, the professional photographer's tool to keep your images safe. How safe are your photographs? Or to put it this way, how would you feel if you permanently lost some or even all of them? The fact is, there are very real risks in storing your digital images on a hard drive, even if they're backed up to an external device. There's ransomware, hardware failure, file corruption, virus infection, and even accidental deletion or destruction. Syncback Pro makes this problem go away permanently. Syncback Pro is the professional photographer's tool to back up photographs, images, documents, and data files. Once set up, it keeps your files safe, quietly and reliably in the background. So if problems occur or disaster strikes, you'll have nothing to worry about. Your photographs will be safe. Which is why it's also the backup solution that I use myself for my own photographs. Take advantage of an exclusive 25% discount today by going to www.backup.sg. The software will never expire, meaning your photographs are safe forever. That's www.backup.sg. Give your photographs the protection they deserve. And now, on with the show. Content warning. This podcast includes a discussion of suicidal thoughts, which may be triggering for some listeners. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts, please seek help immediately. Photography and mental health go hand in hand. Today I talk to Andrew Barufi, who has used the power that nature has to heal, and through photography has enabled healing moments for himself. I won't go into the details here because Andrew tells his story far better than I can in the podcast. Andrew's work draws on the landscapes of Zion National Park and the southwest of the USA, where his journey of healing truly began. We talk about his book, Heal, the culmination of that journey through suicidal depression and anxiety, how he has used his photography to make strides in his recovery, along with a whole lot more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Andrew. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good. How are you doing, Grant? Yeah, pretty good. Thanks for joining me. It's uh, good to get in touch with you. I've been following you for a bit and uh, obviously there's been a bit of correspondence around getting together, etc. Um, why don't you tell us who you are and why you're a landscape photographer? Ooh, it's, a, it's a long story to unpack, but uh, I'm uh, originally from southern Utah. I uh, started photography maybe, maybe in about 2013. Mm-hmm. That's when I first picked up a camera, and then I really didn't get serious with it until about 2015, 2016. Um, at that point in time, I, I took a trip out to Iceland. You know, it's supposed to be the photographer's paradise, and I came away with images I really wasn't happy with, and I kind of wanted to uh, to explore different elements. Sure. And at that time, I was I was using like a standard zoom and like a nice telephoto, and I was like, I didn't really have an ultra wide lens, and I was like, hmm, maybe I'll maybe I'll try some ultra wide stuff. Um, after that, I started exploring the Milky Way a lot and I really enjoyed like photographing the Milky Way, but at the same time, very quickly, I kind of realized that as much as I love photographing the Milky Way and as much as people love viewing my images of the Milky Way, I mm-hmm. became very bored with it. It was almost like the same subject with a different foreground every single time. Um, after that, about 2018, I moved, uh, out to Washington DC after I finished my degree, um, 
at that point I worked for National Geographic, not as a photographer or anything, but just as yep. a, in their museum exhibitions. Um, after some personal and financial, you know, regrets that I, you know, that were pretty tough on me, I moved back to Southern Utah, mm-hmm. back with my family, my parents. Um, and at that point I kind of suffered from uh, suicidal depression at the time, uh, due to kind of everything that's going on and how I was feeling. Um, then I started exploring Zion National Park, which was about 45, 30 minutes away from my home in there, there in Southern Utah. And I just became addicted to it. And really Zion became this place that distracted me and kind of kept me calm in that place. Um, And I explored that park pretty much every single day from all of 2019 into 2020. Um, Now I live in Rochester, New York with my partner. She's getting her PhD at at, uh, the University of Rochester here. And we're just living here and, you know, seeing what comes next. Sounds good. Sounds good. So what was it that got you passionate about landscape photography in particular? What what made you sort of get out in the first place and get out and about? Were you a hiker and you decided to take a camera or, or were you somebody that just sort of said, oh, I'm going to go and take some pretty pictures? It's funny because, I mean, I, I hated the outdoors when I was a kid, you know. Okay. It was all about video games for me and watching yep. movies and I just spent all my time indoors. And uh, it wasn't until um, I went out to Iceland when I was, I remember distinctly, I was at this giant waterfall called Dedefoss. And uh, there was a photographer there with like a tripod and a camera and the whole, whole filter set and everything like that. And I was like, that's not the f- photographer I want to be. You know, I want to be taking photos of pe- people. I want to be traveling to the the corners of the earth. And oh. all of a sudden I just ended up with exactly what he had. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So, do you plan a lot? Are you a, a planner? Are you more spontaneous? How do you How do you go about your shooting? Yeah. Well, here in Rochester, New York, it's it's definitely a, uh, a whim of nature. You know, you never know what you're going to get. If it's going to be you know foggy outside, if you're going to actually see some wildlife, if nothing will be happening, and it's a gray day. Um, but I, I usually take two trips out to Zion National Park a year. Um, that's winter and fall. And, uh, I just make the most of my time there trying to like build up my portfolio for competitions for my own portfolio itself. Um, but around here in Rochester, it's a lot, a lot more difficult. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's important to have goals with your photography and do you, do you have any? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, well, I just kind of finished a big goal of mine, which was actually releasing my book. Um, kind of and that my book, which is called Heal, kind of chronicles my entire time in Zion National Park cool. over the course of 2019 into 2020. Um, it's been a wild success so far. I haven't really, uh, I never thought it was going to be this much of a success. You know, I always thought it was going to to fail a bit, but um, I mean, it's a huge goal that I accomplished. And nowadays, it's it's really just doing what I enjoy more so than kind of tailoring my photography for other people. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's been something that was really hard to learn. Okay. Talk to me a bit about that tailoring. What, what is it that you're doing? I guess that, you know, a, a lot of listeners might not understand about that. Yeah. So like how I talked about like the Milky Way photography and really a lot of people loved Milky Way photography, you know, sure, it's, it's sure. something that can really easily make you, you know, 
a photographer in many people's eyes and yep. it's beautiful work and it's, it's really hard to do good Milky Way photography. Um, but I just fell out of love with it and I kind of moved towards more what I called intimate scenes at the time, but now I kind of call smaller scenes that sure. are kind of more abstract. Um, and those scenes really bring me a lot of joy, but it's, I think we're in this time of photography where uh, people are kind of more veering towards abstract and small scenes being more interesting than the grand landscape, which is very interesting to, to witness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got to admit I'm, I'm doing a, a little bit of the same. I'm still, still trying to hang on to, uh, some of the grand landscape stuff as well, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I I just enjoy finding those little small things that you know might even be literally at your feet. You know, I, I stand on rock platforms a lot, taking seascapes, and you know, yeah. you look, look down, and quite often the rocks and what's you know down at your feet can be uh, can be quite interesting. Um, Absolutely, that and textures of trees and those sorts of things. I I just I, I just find those really small worlds, if you like, just fascinating. What is, yeah. what is it about them that make your engines run, I guess? Well, I think it's, it's not as difficult as something like ski, seascapes or, or sunsets or sunrises. There's not much like planning that you need to do beforehand yep. in many ways. It's most like you just show up and then find these scenes if you're lucky. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm just enjoying kind of the easier approach of that kind of photography. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. When, when did it start to click with you that it was a means of artistic expression as opposed to a means of just recording things that you see? You know, you, you, there, there's a definite style that you have, I feel anyway, that leans more towards that artistic creative photography as opposed to that recording not necessarily just the ran the grand landscape but you know just recording this is what i saw and therefore i'm you know taking a photo of it and that artistic side when did that sort of click for you i would say and i hate to say it but it's when kind of my my suicidal depression started um and i always say like unfortunately i have a lot to thank depression for because it kind of made me the photographer that i am right now yep um and during that time, I always made it a point to include context with my images. So I always write a story to each image, create a title for each image, and have that title kind of referenced throughout each story that I create. Um, and it, it became less of just, you know, photographing pretty things or something that caught my eye and more about like trying to understand the subject through words as well as taking a photograph of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was tough, but. At the same time, it kind of flowed naturally as I was kind of going along throughout that year in Zion. Yeah. Okay. Talk to me a bit about making the book. What what sparked that idea? When obviously a lot of you you call it healing, and it's obviously a lot about that journey from suicidal depression to where you are now, and Absolutely. how the landscape and photography is sort of, as you said, uh, you know, made you heal. Talk to me about that journey, I guess, from there to where you are now and how that sort of culminated in, in the book. Yeah, well, with, with Heal, it was, um, 
I really never thought I was ever going to have a book because I knew it was going to cost a lot of money, you know. Um, and my family got on board pretty quick because they they saw my writing style, they saw my images, and they were like, "Okay, let's let's get a book. It's it's going to make profit. Everything's going to work out in the end." And I really, as much as I trusted that in the beginning, I kind of was like, "Am I really going to make profit on this book? I'm not sure if I trust myself enough in my work." Um, but I went into uh, I went and contacted through Richard Burnaby, who was a very well-known conservation wildlife photographer. Um, he introduced me to Jerry Greer at Mountain Trail Press and Platinus Editions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just got on board like immediately. And luckily with all of the words that I had written for each images, for each of my images, they were already written down. So all I needed to do was literally copy and paste my mm-hmm. book into uh, InDesign and just you know, have at it. Let's choose a cover. Let's figure out this artistic direction on the cover and let's figure out how we want to, you know, tile this book together. Um, and it was a super simple process. I mean, I hate to say that in the end, I really didn't feel like I was part of the process, you know, everything just perfectly lined up for me. And it just seemed very lucky to have this situation occur where, I have this publisher on board. They're yep. totally on board with what I'm doing. And I just need to copy and paste all my stuff. And nice. uh, in the end, I mean, I'm super proud of this book. And I've, you know, there's, it's everything I wanted it to be and everything my family wanted it to be. And, and, and once it made profit, that was a huge, that was a huge point. And, and when it made profit was when uh, Zion National Park themselves through the Zion Forever Project, which yep. is a, nonprofit organization within Zion National Park. They actually bought almost 300 copies of my book and, oh, wow. and gifted it to their staff. Yeah. For as a holiday gift for getting through COVID. And it was, it was incredible, you know, and That's that was kind of an affirming moment. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah. I love to, I love to hear stories like that where somebody's, you know, gone through quite a bit of adversity and, uh, you know, it's ended up being something, uh, yeah, quite successful. It's uh, it's wonderful to hear. In you, terms Richard. of that personal expression in landscape photography, how do you infuse your own vision and style into your images? What is it that you're sort of trying to do to make those images your own? Hmm. I would probably say, I mean, it wasn't until about 2020, you know, beginning of 2020, when I started taking images of ice in Zion National Park. And the ice in Zion National Park is at least, you know, there's two parts of the park kind of separated by, you know, the road that winds between it. Mm-hmm. You have the main canyon, you have the east side. And on the east side, it's much higher elevation. Yep. And uh, the boulders within that main wash of the east side, the, the ice that forms in those uh, kind of corridors is just like something, some sort of ice that just doesn't occur anywhere else. And it's just this beautiful, specific type of ice. Like, it's hard to explain, but it's very concentric lines around boulders and just beautiful movement. And I really kind of got my start with that, that ice. And I just, I found that it was something that both I loved a lot and something that people also loved to see. Because mm-hmm. as much as I want to be that one photographer, that's just like, I just want to shoot for myself and I want to enjoy my photos for myself. I always want to please other people as well. I mean, that's sure. Sure. part and parcel of being an artist, I think. But Totally. And why, why would you share it otherwise? You know? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But that ice on the east side, that just changed my life, you know. Yeah. 
you mentioned sort of getting a bit sick and tired of the, the, the Milky Way, and I, I get where you're coming from. I've also spoken to astrophotographers that are still absolutely fascinated, mainly to get, I guess, in places where nobody else goes to try and get those uh, unique shots. Mm-hmm. How do you stay motivated to experiment with new ideas and techniques in what you're doing now? I guess, I mean, I've, I've become obsessed with a place where, I mean, I'm sure a lot of photographers have come obsessed to local places around them and certain places they want to keep revisiting. Mm-hmm. And Zion is my place. And that's just, as much as I do the same routine every single time I go on a trip, um, I always seem to find new things, new ways of working. Um, but those new ways of working are always centered around places I've been a lot. And I have a, a very, you know, huge wealth of knowledge of um and i just it's it's almost like building upon my portfolio in these places constantly over and over and over again not that i'm making better work but i'm just experimenting more with what i've already known and what i want to kind of accomplish in the future so in terms of that experimentation um obviously that comes with setbacks and failures mm-hmm. you know how do you use that experimentation i guess to push the boundaries of your creation or creativity uh and how do you learn from those failures and setbacks yeah well um when i was starting out i mean kind of going throughout my entire trip or my entire um, kind of first experience in zion Um, I never really felt discouraged because I was just really, I mean, having a camera in my hand was just keeping me alive, you know, not wanting to drive my car off a cliff, put a bullet through my, my head. Um, and at that point in time, it wasn't, you know, the failures, it's almost like failure didn't really become a, a thing. Like no matter what I was doing, even if I was failing as an image, I was just creating something unique, something interesting. And, um, living another day which was um it was hard you know looking back on it it's really hard but in that moment it's just failure isn't really a a thing it's really hard to describe you know Mm, mm. it's more like every everything's just a little success you know yeah any any distraction will, will make you through yeah okay and did that obviously you were i i presume getting some kind of psychiatric help at the at the same time was their advice to go out and do more or was it just something that you were doing on the side of that uh that help that you were getting yeah well unfortunately i did not go to any therapy i wasn't taking any antidepressants or anything um okay. all i was doing was basically my family owned a coffee shop in our little town of cedar city utah in southern utah and every morning i would kind of go uh to work from about maybe 5 a.m. to 1 Mm p.m. And then each day right after work, I would just head design, you know, or head right up the mountains. Yep. And that for me was some sort of therapy. You know, it wasn't really as much as I'm not trying to like discourage therapy or anything or, or, uh, you know, therapy is, is not worth it. I mean, obviously it is and it helps so many people and it's, it's wonderful, but through photography and, and, just being creative that just kind of helped me through and really Zion was there to distract me yeah okay 
In terms of, I'm interested in, obviously, that natural environment and Zion National Park is a big part of what you're doing. How do you balance the desire to capture those unique and interesting images with the need to sort of respect and minimise your impact on the natural environment? Is that something that you're conscious of and thinking about all the time or is it just something that you just naturally do? Yeah, so with Zion, um, it's it's definitely being plagued by kind of, I would say, it's hard to say over-visitation because these places do need to be visited, you know, in, in order for yeah, the park um, to make it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, vandalism and, you know, the building of recreational cairns is a constant issue in Zion. And I try and do my part of at least reporting vandalism to park rangers or, you know, kicking down every single cairn I can find. In, within the park because <laughs> they are just a menace um but uh, at the same time it's the type of work i'm doing i hate to say it's in the more traveled places you know i try and find those small little nooks within um places like i mean even the east side washes is just it's a place that anybody can jump into sure. and, and find but um i'm just trying to to find the details with them in those places without kept going too remote or trying to, you know, tell people about um, kind of the hidden places around Zion. Yeah. Um, just experiencing what anyone can experience when they visit the park, but just taking a closer look, more detailed look mm. with the ground below my feet. Yeah. Great. And in terms of that, do you see photography as a tool for educating people about their environment? Um, do you do you do anything actively around that, or is it just sort of here's here's the images that I'm taking? Yeah, well, with with the context that I do share and the words that I do share, I do um, try and as much as people might not read the words, as much as they'll look at an image, you know, I try to bolster my images with my context. And that context usually revolves around actually, you know, caring about the park, caring about these places, leaving it better. Um, as well as that, you know, a, um, a rather well-known photograph within this book and, and of mine is actually an image of kind of a slab of sandstone there mm -hmm. in Zion National Park. And I spent about an hour collecting a bunch of trash within the, uh, the washes of the east side. And then I took that trash and I basically spelled out the word Zion um, on the slab of sandstone, took a photograph of it, put yep. that context to it, and, and in terms kind of became well known. You know, the park itself has shared that photograph and, um, you know, it's gotten some some sort of traction with some uh, kind of uh, outdoor stewardship accounts on Instagram. So oh, there's okay. something being done there, but it's really hard to base my entire photography off of, you know. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, yeah. Not, oh, yeah, not absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But just, yeah, it's a tough one, though. Yeah. Yeah. I guess... Do you geotag? Do you let people know that you're in those well-travelled areas or are you a little bit reticent to tell people where you are when, you, when you're taking those shots? Or you just say generally Zion National Park and let them, let them yeah. find it? This is something I love your take on because I always tag Zion National Park mm. with any image that I take in Zion National Park. Yep. Not, not because that... Because I think the people that are going there to destroy this place aren't necessarily seeing my images and going, oh, Zion National Park, let me go 
you know, do whatever I want to, to be selfish and, sure. and, and try and create a name for myself. But, um, like, how do you approach that? Is that something you... I, I tend not to geotag too much, but if somebody yeah. asks me, I'm quite happy to say, I mean, a lot of what I do is in very public, very well-trafficked areas. Exactly. Uh, I try not to take too many risks in terms of particularly the seascape stuff where I'm standing on a, a rock platform with waves washing over it. I'm mm -hmm. pretty careful about the tides and when I do that. And I wear uh, rock fishing boots. So these are, they're like a neoprene booty that uh, has um, little cleats on the bottom of it. So it's kind of like, kind of like ice shoes. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so I'm hopefully, and, you know, touch wood, I haven't yet fallen over <laughs> being washed off a rock platform uh so but the, the point is a lot of the places that i'm going uh beaches and the rock platforms around those beaches and on the headlands here around sydney and mm -hmm. they're very publicly accessible not hard to find there's some yeah. spots which are very obvious when you look at the background of the photo where i've taken it from yeah. Um, so I, I don't get too excited about that. If I'm going into a national park, though, doing waterfall photography or something that's a little bit, uh, you know, in a, an area that's a little bit more sensitive, I, I certainly don't tag where it is. I'll say yeah. if I'm, you know, it might be the Blue Mountains National Park and that's all I'll say, which is a yeah. massive, you know, 400-odd hectare area. <laughs> Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, you, you can find it if you look hard enough and if you exactly <laughs> yeah, if you know what you're looking for but um you know some places i i, I generally stopped geotagging uh where i am uh, some years ago I, I just don't say it but if somebody asks i'll tell them you know yeah yeah i've always wondered like how specific a geotag needs to be like latitude and longitude yeah, you know, before, <laughs> and I just like, like, am I doing the wrong thing right now? I don't know. <laughs> no, I don't, I, I don't think so. From from my perspective, when you're sort of saying where the general area where you are, uh, mm. I, I think is is quite reasonable. You know, the okay. with thing is with Google Maps and the way that uh, people can, you know, zoom right in to find out where things are. Absolutely. It's not that hard if you if if you're willing yeah. to look. What what astounds me a little bit though is the comments that you get about where is this when you have actually mentioned in the in the yes. caption where it is pretty specifically, you know, without this, you know, six inches to the left here, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but and, and people will ask you, where was this? And you go, Well, you know, <laughs> read the caption. <laughs> Uh, anyway, it's. Uh, I, I think it, as a, a general rule, though, I, I think as you said that that over-trafficked uh, or you know over-visited uh, areas, it, it is a, a challenging thing. Um, and I know in in the US, I know Zion and a, a couple of others, they use ticketing and permits and uh, and mm -hmm. so forth to sort of try and put some controls. So far, that hasn't happened here yet. Um, gotcha. 
if you're going into a national park, yes, there's a fee that you can you can buy an annual pass, which I've got, or you can, you know, pay pay at the gate as you go in, unless you're going in when there's nobody there and then you don't pay. So, you know, it's kind of it's a little bit more free and less restrictive here. Uh, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, in, in general do respect the landscape. I think the trouble is, is that you have the, uh, you know, those shots that people see on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, and they want to replicate it. And to replicate it, you end up having, you know, large volumes of people there. And, it, you know, to, to be honest, that, that kills the buzz for me. It's Absolutely. <laughs> not, yeah, not the sort of photography I want to do. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I guess it's kind of different, you know, for kind of the core of my work because, Really, I mean, I'm taking just abstract images of ice that you'd never be able to put anywhere, you know, yeah, yeah. you know, specifically, you know, back in the day, I used to take some granular landscapes of Zion, but still then I, I mean, I still tagged, you know, Zion National Park and, you know, I, I, I assumed that they were images that, you know, everybody kind of gotten at the time, you know, because I was just exploring a place for the first time. So oh, of course, yeah. everybody's going to have these same images. I'm seeing the same thing that everybody must else be seeing, you know. Yeah, there's only so many angles you can shoot it from exactly. that look right, you know, and yeah. you get the right light, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about work and lifestyle choice and so forth. You're working full time, uh, mm-hmm. I understand. So therefore, you this is a photography is a bit of a side hustle for you. How do you balance that full time work and your photography and family life, et cetera? Yeah, well, I work at uh, REI here in uh, the US, which is kind of like a an outdoor industry. It's Recreational Equipment Incorporated. Yep. Um, I'm a sales lead there, so I'm kind of working within the camp department. So I'm really not too far from the outdoor industry. Um, yep. And I get to, you know, talk about photography and talk about, you know, people going to Zion and people going to Australia and people going to, you know, far-fung places all over the, the, the globe. Um, and it's just, it's very it's very nice to be in that work because, you know, I have a customer service background for my entire life. You know, I've been in a coffee shop for, you know, while it was my family's coffee shop or it was my family's coffee shop, it was um, still customer service focused. Um, But with photography here in Rochester, it's extremely slow because uh, there's no nice way of putting it, you know, um, Rochester is just a really difficult place to photograph. Um, okay. I, you either have wildlife photography yep. or in the winter, it's just really ugly all the time. You know, really? you have the days, <laughs> you've got brown trees and that's about it. <laughs> sometimes you'll get some fog, sometimes you'll get some snow, but it is just, I hate to say ugly, but it's, it's bad. <laughs> yeah. Not photogenic. <laughs> What's that? Not photogenic. Exactly. <laughs> So in terms of uh, the time that you're spending in in the field versus mm-hmm. the time that you're sort of spending at home or at, uh, at, at work, what kind of percentage is it for you? I mean, pretty much works 90%. You know, photography is 10% right now. Um, yeah. Unless I'm on my trips, you know, twice a year, I'll go out to Zion in fall and winter for about a week or so. And really that week, just me constantly just going at it each day, you know, doing my exact routines I used to do back in the day. Um, But 
when I'm here in Rochester, I, I might go out for an hour, you know, every morning here and there. Um, yeah. Usually I find nothing and I'm, I'm kind of okay with it because I'm, I, I, I put it in like a nice way, but I'm really obsessed with photography and not just like actually photographing, but like watching videos and just right. reading reviews of cameras and lenses. I'm just so obsessed with all of it. Yep. You know, I, I have YouTube on, you know, photography on YouTube constantly on, and I just watch videos constantly. And just, it, while it is kind of obsessive, it's also very inspirational, you know, and it, it does make me want to go out and actually photograph and it, it never gets dull. And I don't know why that is, you know, I feel like at some point it's got to get dull, you know, watching <laughs> the same photography videos over and over and over again. But <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got to admit, I've got a, I've got a select few that I watch fairly regularly, um, yeah. probably about five or six. There's, a, there's, there's about 10 all up that I'll, I'll dip into outside those five or six and you know those 10 are okay but occasionally you know but I, I think the fact that they're all doing something slightly different their styles are different that helps exactly. and mm -hmm. for me I'm, I'm similar to you in terms of that obsession you know it's it, it it's something that I've turned into my lifestyle now uh, yeah. but you know getting that uh getting that inspiration and getting that drive to go out and create uh i i think those videos uh and the youtube channels certainly help mm -hmm. and i know i mean i i saw a poll recently i don't know if you follow andrew atkinson on yep. uh Twitter. yeah he does these polls all the time but he did one about like you know what keeps you like i think it was like something engaged in photography and it was like practice versus youtube videos and I was really surprised by, you know, how little of a percentage YouTube videos got because yeah. that's how I learned photography. I mean, it's wild to me that, you know, YouTube doesn't touch, you know, people in, in the same way as, you know, some other people. Mm -hmm. I mean, practice, of course, is, you know, paramount, but YouTube is just, I can't, I can't imagine photography without YouTube. Well, it's where I learned a hell of a lot of the techniques that I use, both in the field and also in post-production. So for me, yeah, you know, I, I call it University of YouTube or YouTube. Yep. <laughs> Invaluable. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it, it, certainly beyond photography as well, you know, mm -hmm. I've, I've learned a lot from, uh, uh, if nothing else, I've also learned a lot of things not to do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> so I guess you're in a place where photography is tough in mm -hmm. in Rochester. How yeah. far are you having to travel to get a shot that you're, you know, you in in one of the trips that you're doing? Where where are you going, and uh, how far are you going? Well, here in Rochester, it's about I'd say a thirty minute drive to the place I kind of go the most, which is called Braddock Bay. Um, cause we're right on the edge of Lake Ontario, which is this massive lake here in the U S. Um, and it's kind of almost sea like in its appearance. Yep. So it kind of looks like the sea, but, um, it's also a, a huge area for bird migration. So in kind of the spring, summer months, you'll get tons of birds out there. Yep. Um, and really I've had to kind of put more of an emphasis on wildlife photography than I've wanted to, because here it's just, I'm not going to be able to get those intimate scenes that I can get in Zion you know, yeah. dealing with reflected light, dealing with ice. Um, 
But I mean, with wildlife photography, and I remember maybe a year and a half, two years ago, I actually bought like a dedicated wildlife lens and I was like really getting into it. And I was like, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a wildlife photographer. And then I, I, I realized pretty quick that I was like, hmm, you know, I have to have a lot of patience, a lot of time. You know, I need to really dedicate myself to be a wildlife photographer. Yeah, it's, like, a, it's, a, it's a different mindset, I think. Yeah, land, landscape yeah. is easy in comparison and I don't want to denigrate yeah, I, landscape I <laughs> in any way. I love it. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, to me, wildlife, the patience involved, the, um, I guess, the, 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 the pain that you can experience doing yeah. that either sitting, lying or standing in one spot for what could be hours before something yeah. comes along that you can actually shoot. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, it is a very different mindset. Yeah, I mean, I mean, even a park close by, I, I met a fox that I was just enamored with for months and I would spend four hours at a time just waiting there for a fox, you know, hoping. And then at that time I was thinking, well, what what kind of image am I actually going to get of this fox? And this is this going to be a uh, a contest winning you know photograph of a fox? Yep. And I think that's what's kind of plagued my mindset now is just every photograph kind of has to be contest winning, you know. And it's it's less of an exploration, more of a let's just try and get the best possible photo. And I think that's kind of where I, I need to take a step back from that because that's just not ever going to be good for my photography. Yeah, it's not not um, realistic. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So not sure how to do it. I mean, luckily I've taken a step back from wildlife photography. I've got a whole new kit now and, um, but I still want to keep it centered to what I do. Cause I do love photographing animals. I think that thrill of the chase is still something that just, you can't really experience in landscape photography to the same extent. I mean, yes, there will be some thrill of chasing conditions, chasing light, but mm. chasing wildlife is like a whole different kind of beast really. Definitely, definitely. In terms of you shooting, are you shooting alone or do you like to shoot with friends? Do you go out with friends much? Oof, I'm, I'm always alone. I'm definitely an introvert in okay. for, for photography. And as much as I'm an introvert, I'm, I'm really not good at talking about myself as well. So it's always, you know, even going to podcasts and stuff, I'm always like, well, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can talk about myself. You're doing um, okay. Thank you. Appreciate it. <laughs> But especially when photographing with people, um, and many times I do avoid people, you know, at, at all costs, you know, okay. you know, even if some photographers that want to meet up, you know, months down the road, you know, I might not ever see them again because I'm just afraid of, you know, that social interaction. And, right. and also yeah. I'm really afraid of photographing the same thing that they're photographing, which is why I've never really taken part in workshops or anything like that. Yeah, I, I get fascinated by the variation that you see. Yeah. You know, you, you got uh, five photographers standing within, let's say, a you know, 10 metre radius, uh -huh. and they're all going to come away with something different, even though they're shooting almost exactly the same thing. I've, I've found anyway, you know, they're, 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 they've got their own take and their own style. Maybe it's maybe it's just some of the people that I've, I've, I've shot with, but uh, I've, what I've seen is I'm just wowed by the uh, the variation you get. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the most recent one that I had was um, I kind of told somebody about you know um, 
hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm visiting Zion. How should I explore Zion? What am I, what should I do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I gave them information on what to do. I gave them very broad information, but they were a very similar photographer in terms of me and me and them. Um, and we kind of met up after the fact of, of photographing within the park and they came away with very similar images to mine. I was like, well, I mean, I can't use those images. Those are images that they have as well. I mean, these are not contest winning images, you know, that I, I need to have to fulfill my mind space of photography. So it's tough. It's tough with people in photography for me. Yeah, yeah. Why contests? What, what is it about contests that uh, gets your creative juices flowing, I guess? I think it's, I think it's the where contests are kind of going right now. I mean, I do focus on the contests that are more kind of geared towards let's look at the more intimate, smaller landscapes rather than um, focusing on grand vistas, which I mean, natural, um, I can't remember the name of it, NLPA, natural landscape photography awards annual photography awards, the landscape photography world awards, um, both kind of put an emphasis on that. And what I really enjoyed about that was, you know, like seeing all these small scenes for once being celebrated. Um, and uh, it's just, it's kind of the next thing I need to go to. You know, I've, I've, I've kind of made somewhat of a name for myself in photography with my book and with, you know, with some sort of a following on Instagram, though it's not many, it's something. And now it's kind of like going to contests, you know, even, you know, being a judge for a contest is what I think is just like the top tier thing you can do as a photographer. Okay. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of what I focus on. Fair enough. Fair enough. What's your most memorable photography experience? Oof. Um, I'm actually staring at a photo right now of um, a great blue heron that I shot in Zion. Um, okay. I titled Self. Um, and this is a heron that I, I, when I first visited Zion National Park, I had no idea what a great blue heron was. I, I thought, what is this dinosaur standing in front of me? This is not an actual bird. This can't be real. Um, and in Zion National Park, I've counted maybe two blue herons that exist within the whole park. Um, here in Rochester, you can throw a, a rock and probably find a heron, you know, somewhere flying away from that rock. Um, but you know, with this image that I'm looking at, I mean, I got within about 15 feet of this heron, wow. you know, and it was completely calm with me, you know, the entire time. And over this course of time, you know, he, uh, this heron uh, kind of became my friend. I always felt like I, I noticed, that, you know, this heron would notice me and kind of recognize me over time after every single photograph I took of it. Um, uh, and I'll never forget this moment. And, I wish I could really just show the audience this, this photo, but uh, it's, it's titled self. You can see it on my website, but uh, it's just this beautiful reflected light behind this great blue heron. That's just sitting there very calm and somber. Um, and just sitting that, there in that moment, not even taking the photograph, but just being in the presence of that bird was just, just phenomenal. Just a phenomenal okay. experience. One I'll never forget. Right. What about uh, horror stories? Have you had any, uh, real failures out, out in the field surprisingly no okay. um, it, in in terms of like creative of course you know there's always a ton of images oh, yeah, that yeah, I, yeah. 
Yeah, we all we always didn't, didn't, didn't pull the focus quite right, or didn't exactly. uh, you know, didn't didn't frame it right, or get the composition exactly. wanted. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in terms of like my camera gear failing, that never happened. I mean, I hate to to plug Canon gear, but it's just phenomenal. I mean, I, I shoot Fujifilm now, but um, I've killed killed a couple of Canons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's impressive. They're tanks. <laughs> Yeah, well, they don't like they don't like seawater. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. Yeah, you see, I've never had to deal with seawater before, so maybe yeah. one day. <laughs> it's not so much the water itself; it's the salt afterwards. That's that's always the that's corrosion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it, it's funny because, and you know, I hate to, to harp on depression and everything like that, but it's it's really essential to who I am as a person. Um. Back in that time, I wasn't really afraid of, you know, falling off a cliff or anything like that because I was actively trying to go out and experiencing moments like that to be that close to death. Um, not in some, you know, prideful way, but just in a way that I'm just trying to, you know, feel a little closer to death in a yeah. just a very strange way. It's, it's hard to comprehend, you know, looking back on it. So, you know, as much as I was trying to, you know, and I remember, you know, speeding through the mountain passes at 80 miles an hour on icy roads and just, you know, whatever, who cares what happens to me? Yeah. Um, getting that close to a cliff, trying to shoot this, you know, tree on the edge of the, the sandstone walls. Um, and yet in those moments, I never really had a failure or taken a bad slip or taken a bad fall. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 tough. But, you know, that that depression really did. I don't want to say prevented those those horror stories, I guess. Yeah, okay. What do you think the practice of photography has taught you about nature? Ooh, that nature is fleeting, probably more than anything. And I mean, we all know about fleeting light and you know, fleeting conditions. Yeah. But it's it's amazing. And really with with you know the types of scenes I really like to photograph, which is ice scenes, they can change in about 10 minutes, you know. Once direct sunlight hits those scenes, they're gone. Um, And it just, it's really kind of made me think about like, and it's tough because, you know, I can never go back in time and experience every single year in Zion, you know, seeing how the the ice was in the the park every single day. It just always constantly makes me think that, you know, what if I was here five years ago? What, What would the ice look like then? You know, mm-hmm. what, what photograph didn't I get that at that time? You know, I guess in some ways it's taught me regret, but it's kind of a, you know, a, a pretty irrational regret more than anything. Sure, sure. Interested to talk to you a bit about the, the process for your, your landscape photography. Was it get out, get the tripod set up, take your time, find a composition. What what was going through your mind when you were actually, you know, setting up prior to and then taking taking the shots? Yeah, so, I mean, for the most part, it was anything that caught my eye. I mean, that's kind of a cliche within photography, but at sure. the same time, it's very important to photograph yeah. what catches your eye. Otherwise, you're going to miss it. Um, but, you know, I learned 
at, at the time, I mean, I was watching tons of YouTube videos. And as I mentioned about Iceland, you know, and seeing that photographer with the tripod and the camera and the filters and not being, not wanting to be that photographer, yep. you know, the rest of my like life. Turning into that photographer. <laughs> exactly. Just immediately became that photographer and just learning from, you know, Thomas Heaton, Ben Horn, you know, all of these yep. big time uh, YouTube photographers. And, uh, Pretty much, I mean, anything that caught my eye, I would set my tripod up, up first. I would never take a practice shot or anything. I would just want to just hone in on that little scene and, and carefully compose. And, and I hate to say just emulate what they were doing, you know, because they're the they're the heroes, and you need to emulate your heroes until you 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 know yeah, you learn. <laughs> exactly until until you learn. <laughs> but yeah, that was basically my process. I mean, just taking it slow and you know, not trying to, you know, not trying to, to rush nature, I guess, not trying to rush my time. So you got the shot. Are you the type of photographer that just gets the camera home straight on the computer, get into editing, or do you let things gestate and marinate for a bit? I'm kind of like in between, you know, I'll get home, generally throw the camera bag on the ground, have a beer, you know, Sure. chill for a bit, open light room. Maybe I'm feeling in a little better state because of the beer, you know, throw in the memory card and then pop in a light room. And then at that point, I, I basically do the same settings on almost every photograph. I don't use presets or anything, but I just, I always send the sliders to like plus 30, minus 30, plus 30, minus 30. Don't know why I do it, but I just, I find my images look best when I kind of follow that same routine over and over and over again. Yep. And it's, it's interesting because my photos never really, I never feel like my photos have suffered if I continue to go down that path. So yeah. might as well keep doing it. I think, I think everyone sort of gets their favorite numbers that I, I, I know I, I, I process by numbers quite a bit. I know mm -hmm. the, I know the percentages that I want and I know, you know, how much contrast is too much or yep. not enough, et cetera. You know, it's, uh, uh -huh. I, I, I think. Are you, that, are you, go on. Oh, sorry, what are you going to say? No, carry on. Are you a, a person that just pulls the slider or do you put in a specific number? I type the number. <laughs> Same way. There we go. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I'll, I'll type it and if it doesn't look good, then I'll pull the slider around, around that, that space to see plus or minus maybe three or five, you know. Yeah, that's the way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and just see whether or not that makes uh, make makes it look better. But uh, for me, yeah, it's definitely I I type the numbers in. It's it, it's a lot easier, except with the curves adjustment. They're they're the only yeah. ones that you kind of. But it, even there, I kind of know where I'm putting the cursor and where I'm clicking. So. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know there's a lot of lot of new and different techniques around uh, using some of those things, but I do a lot. For me, I, and I'm interested in your process as well, but uh, I, I do a lot of selective editing. Is that the way you edit or are you doing most in Lightroom and then finishing in Photoshop? What, what sort of process do you go through? Yeah, I pretty much do only Lightroom. I barely ever, I don't even know how to use Photoshop really. Um, and I never do like those um, like masking and radial adjustments and, you know, the, oh. the circles. And I, I I really don't know how to do those well. So I just use, you know, the, the bog standard, you know, Lightroom settings. 
Okay. You know, a little vignette at the end. It kind of works for me. So, hey, <laughs> <laughs> if it works, it works. That's, that's Absolutely. <laughs> Are you spending? It sounds sounds to me like you're not spending a lot of lot of time uh, with edits. Mm -hmm. And obviously, if you're not using Photoshop, not a lot of layers. Yep, nothing. <laughs> Easy peasy. <laughs> Fair enough. So, how much time would you spend on average on a on a shot? Oof. I mean, I hate to say at most an hour, which is, it's, but I mean, I do. I know people that spend less than 20 minutes on a shot. <laughs> well, well, interesting. Well, good on them, really. Uh, but I, I spend kind of equal amount of time on the images. I do the words and I, it's, it's honestly, if I, if I get a good story, it's almost like the image doesn't need to matter as much, which sounds awful for a photographer, but yeah. you know, the words are going to tell you as much about the photograph as the photograph will in my mind, you know, people always say, what, what's the, the thing, you know, a hundred, uh, a photograph can give you is worth 10,000 words or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know the saying, but I always think that the words matter as much. Um, and it kind of gives you more context, to the image that is lost with just a single image. Um, yeah. In terms of printing, obviously you've uh, done the book. Mm -hmm. Do you print any uh, prints for your walls or for other people, etc.? I do, yes. Um, and it's funny because I saw another, I think a Twitter post on this or a tweet is what they're called, I guess, um, where someone was like, you know, do you is your house filled with photographs of your own work, or is it filled with photographs of somebody else's work? And I'm always, and it's very interesting to see like all the people that did not fill their houses with their own work. It's yeah. like I have like photographs everywhere of my stuff because yeah. I enjoy what I do. Um, but I print quite a lot. Yeah, um, I've got two printers in there actually. You know, one's basically printing labels right now, while the other printed prints. Um, just the standard photographs for the book, as well as limited edition prints I do on my website. Um, yeah, do you do you fill your house with a lot of your own prints, or I've I've got a few prints of mine. Not it's not filled. <laughs> Plenty <laughs> of blank spaces. Uh, yes, but um, I I do also buy others' work, and you know, from my perspective, I think that in its own way sort of helps me as an inspiration you know it, it, it's something and it's when i buy something a piece from a, another artist it, it's really about okay that that's a an amazing inspirational image that i i'd want to have on the wall you know it's, that's mm -hmm. the why the, the reason why i do it the prints that i do for home uh, in, in a lot of cases have been test prints to same you know, <laughs> to see see how that will work okay yes i've got the colors right i've got the shading right i've got you know everything where i want tonally and yeah. uh yep yeah, okay that's good enough let's see it in a frame stick it on the wall mm -hmm. you know three months later it might come down you know, and be replaced yeah. with another one <laughs> exactly yeah I mean, I'm always about like supporting others' work, you know, and, and photographers always going to need support. And, Absolutely. And, uh, yeah. But it's, it's tough, you know, I mean, I just, I love printing my own work, you know, yeah. and at the same time, as much as I want to, you know, support other photographers, I only have so much wall space. Yeah. And even though no, my walls are made of stone, so I can't really get through them. So. <laughs> 
In terms of uh, tips for people that are wanting to get into printing, have you got any tips around making sure that the that the print looks like what you see on the screen? That's a tough one because I was actually watching a video today where um, uh, I think it was it was Joe Allen and he was doing a kind of his photography print process on YouTube and um, he said he just wants to outsource you know to to you know, printers that are just going to professionally print versus printing for yourself. Um, Because, you know, the cost of test prints, the cost of ink, the cost of the printer, the, you know, the space that a printer takes up. And I I feel like that's just as much as it's as much good as you can get from a professional printing service. There's just a lot lost from the actual enjoyment of printing yourself and doing Mm -hmm. those test prints. And I know it's going to, you know, take some money, but at the same time, when you print something, when you are holding the thing that didn't exist months ago, you know, image-wise, print-wise, and now you're just holding the physical copy, it's it's the final stage of the of the photography process to me. I don't know Absolutely. about you. Yeah. Well, yeah. To to me, it's yes, it's a it's an image, it's a photo, but until it's actually printed, I I don't feel like it's finished. I I totally exactly. I totally get that. Uh-huh. Have you ever hit a creative wall? And if so, how have you handled that? Hmm. I would say the wall was probably coming here to Rochester because I just can't okay. do what I used to do, no matter what I try to do. Um, yeah. There will never be a place like Zion around here. Um, and I just kind of accepted it with, okay, let's just, you know, dig my heels in. Let's focus on, you know, working on the book, working on my website, working on printing images. Um, working on my Instagram. Um, it's not so much about, you know, like um, getting very consecutive work, you know, on, on a very, uh, you know, on a schedule, on like a routine or anything like that. But it's yeah. just experience photography when I have the time to do it, when I have the care to do it. You know, a lot of times, you know, back in the day, I mean, I would wake up at, at 5 a.m. or go to work, go right to Zion, you know, even if it was a day off, I'd wake up super early, get out the door. Nowadays I set my alarm and I press snooze and, you know, stay in bed for the rest of the day because I mean, what's the point of going out if the conditions aren't perfect, you know, here, because really this place is ugly. So. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Fair enough. Fair enough. What do you say is the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? Ooh. Hmm. I would say it's got to be kind of the intimate small scenes kind of area right now. Okay. I feel like five years ago, I mean, it was dominated by grand landscape photography and, you know, small scenes were just this little bit of photography. It was a nerd, yeah. yeah, exactly. But now it's, it's, it's given, getting, getting hard. So you really have to figure out exactly what you want to do and what you love to do as well as what other people love to um, see. Yeah, which is I think that's a really tough balance to to find. Um, I'm grateful I found my own, but I can't imagine you know starting to do this right now would be yeah. extremely difficult. Yeah. Okay. Where do you see the future of photography going? I feel like it's like a pendulum. You know, it kind of swings towards green landscapes, swings towards abstract, maybe street photography occasionally. Um, I feel like it's going to swing right back to grand, grand landscapes, you know, with all the, the advancements in technology of cameras nowadays, it's just, 
it's kind of mind blowing with, with IAF tracking. That's just blowing my mind. I'm not sure how they even do that. Yeah. I mean, my camera is the slowest thing in the world. So, <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, I feel like it's just going to swing back towards that, that kind of, well, the other issue that's kind of got me worried is, I guess it's not really an issue, but it's more of like a concern is AI photography yep. right now. Um, not sure what that's going to look like for competitions or, you know, if raw verification will be necessary for everything. Yeah. What are your, your thoughts? Uh, I don't think it'll stop people going out and being creative. Mm-hmm. And it, it might stop some people from, you know, do, doing what they would naturally do anyway. But um, from my perspective, it's probably going to have an impact on commercial photography first and foremost. The yeah. ability for an organisation or a marketing executive or whatever to type in a few words about what he wants and yep. kind of kind of come up with something that is pretty close to that concept. If nothing else, he's cut out that concept art initiation and he could hand that to his creative director and say okay this is this is kind of what i want to uh to a you know as the technology moves forward as the uh marketing space realizes what that means for their industry i think it's going to change quite significantly and i can see a time where you could have even a still or maybe a video image uh, sort of campaign presentation which changes and evolves based on the data that's coming back from customers, i.e. how long they're looking, where they're looking on the screen, et cetera, et cetera, because they'll be using, they'll be using technology like eyeball tracking, et cetera, using your your phone's camera. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's scary. <laughs> and this, this is the thing. It is, it is scary without you switching all of your sensors off on your camera, you know, on, on your phone. Yeah. You, you, that little device, it's already listening to you and, you know, giving you search uh, based on what it's heard you say, uh, wow. get, giving you search suggestions. I can see a time where that advertising could even be tailored directly to you because it's using an AI program to say, all right, well, he didn't like this, but he liked that a little bit more. Or he liked this other campaign that we did before. So let's blend a bit more of that in and use that data to actually get the AI to produce an image that makes you stop, makes you look, makes you click the button. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I can I can see that happening because yeah. there's money to be made and people and and money to be saved mm-hmm. because people will say, well, I don't need a photographer now. You yeah, know, if I want to, I don't even need to pay models. You know, I can I can have a computer generated model. So for those industries in the commercial space, I can see some real threat. Um, things like real estate photography, well. You know, if you AI generate an Airbnb listing or whatever, it's kind of not reality. So when your customer turns up, they go, "That's not like the image." So, (laughs) so that's that. I don't think real estate photography and that sort of thing is going to go away. Um, But yeah, I can certainly see you know 
um, you know, brands like certain brands of cola or certain brands of, uh, you know, running shoe or whatever, getting into um, into this yeah. in a big way and cutting out a whole swathe of costs for themselves. Because at the moment, when you look at those, you know, campaign build costs, that mm -hmm. is actually going to be a significant saving just by typing some words. That's spooky stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, bit of a bit of a glimpse into the future for from my exactly. perspective. Anyway, <laughs> what uh, what do you like to do when you're not out shooting? I mean, I, like I said, I mean, I'm just obsessed. So if if I'm not out shooting, I'm probably watching a YouTube video of you know photography, or I'm you know reading a book, or you know you know uh, kind of going through all the details on new camera specs, new lenses. You know, trying to get with the news of everything. So. Sure. Uh, I mean, and of course, I spend time with my partner. We go out to dinner all the time. But um, really, I mean, photography is what I do and just kind of what my mind needs to be okay, really, nowadays. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Who are the uh, photographers that you think I should be talking to on the podcast? Ooh, I mean, uh, Eric Erlenbush. Uh, e visual on on Instagram for sure. Uh, yep. He just um, have you, do you follow his work at all? Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, stunning stuff. Yeah, the foremost in in intimate landscapes there in Southern Utah. Um, let's see, Martin Gonzalez, of course. Um, Alberto Rodriguez. Yep. Yeesh. Uh, oh, and. Um, Jack Crone, AK39 on Instagram. Just, okay. I, I always, um, and I've told him this multiple times, but um, he's probably my favorite photographer of all time because every single image I come across on on his Instagram is just like the best image I've ever seen, you know, until yeah. the next one. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it is, but he just, he has this certain eye for photography that's just completely different to everybody else's. And I just appreciate it so much. Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. I've got one more question for you, and it's uh, probably the most important question that we've got to get to the bottom of with uh, landscape photographers. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Absolutely love it. <laughs> Give oh, it to okay. me. I'm, I'm surprised with a surname like Barufi. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Very Roman name, huh? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, come on. How can you not like pineapple on pizza? That's sweet with that salty. It's perfect. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for taking the time out to talk to me today, Andrew. It's been absolutely wonderful getting to know you a little bit better. And thank you so much for sharing so much about yourself. Where can people find your work? Oh, well, I appreciate it, Graham. Thank you so much. Um, you, can, you can find my work at uh, Andrew Baruffi on Instagram or andrewbaruffiphoto.com. Um, Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero. Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. <laughs> <laughs>